Mmm, the first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Welcome to a Turn on the Jets digital special presentation. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And I am joined, as always, for the weekend mailbag by the owner, the operator, the lead reporter, the whole shebang over at JetsInsider.com. And, of course, above all of that, a very big deal, Mr. Chris Nimbley. Chris, what's going on, man? Hey, not much. You know, just... uh Actually taking a little bit of break from us, all breaking down all the football tape, and, and in between crying about Dwayne Wade retiring, too. That video was incredible, wasn't it? Yeah. It, he's, you know, I, I said, as I tweeted, this, I don't get very sentimental with sports. I know lots of people do. I don't very much. Dwayne Wade's been one of my favorite players since Marquette, and uh, I'm a huge fan of him as a person as well. And, you know, all year long he was doing all this stuff, and it was like cool, cool, cool. And then it just kind of hit me when I saw that video, and that just, yeah, that's that. My eyes started dusty in my house. It's funny because I was never a big Dwayne Wade fan, and I didn't know that much about him as a person because I had no reason to really read up about him. But it's impossible to watch that video and not be emotionally affected unless you're made of ice. It was incredible, especially the part with his mom where he hugs his mom and she's talking about how if it wasn't for him giving her the strength and believing in her, she never would have made it out of jail. It was absolutely incredible. If you haven't watched the video, it's like four minutes long. I don't know exactly who first posted it, but I know that Darren Ravel retweeted it. So you could probably search Dwayne Wade, Darren Ravel. It's a Budweiser ad too, which is the only bad thing about it. I'm like crying and tearing up, and then I'm like, this, and then I see this Bud's for you or whatever. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> come on, man! Like, I was, I was feeling good. It was, it was, it was all warm in my heart, and now you're trying to sell me Bud. Like, not nah, chill. They want to help you relax from your emotional high with uh, a beer. Uh, fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> but yeah, well, just one quick, one quick thing on this because obviously it's a football podcast. But I, one thing that hit me is, you know, growing up you form attachments to certain players and teams and this and that, and you kind of feel like, you know, it's not ever going to be the same. Uh, you're not going to feel the same about uh, players as you do once you get older. And that's obviously true, but you, uh, you look at it from a different perspective. Cause again, I saw Dwayne Wade and Marquette and like, I, it was one of those things where, you know, I was watching a lot of college basketball back then, and uh, I felt like I discovered him because he was at Marquette. Marquette wasn't a big school then, and I was on to him before most people. And then I got to watch him grow and like grow from that unknown kid out of nowhere and watch him grow into the, you know one of the best players in the league. And to be able to see it from that perspective is as Definitely different from when you uh, attach yourself to someone as a kid, but it can be just as rewarding and just as much fun to witness and go along for the ride. So, like, you know, I know there's a lot of us uh, out there that sit there and look at sports and we're like, wow, wait a second, I'm really old. And you get sad and depressed for it. But you can find different ways of looking at it to to get as much enjoyment out of it. 
This is kind of along the lines of the discussions that Chris and I have before we start recording. Yeah. I usually end up talking for like an hour about a variety <laughs> of topics. One of these days, I should just turn the recorder on and we could call it Nimbly and Mason After Dark or something. And I can put it up at like 3 a.m. on a random Sunday because we kind of run the gamut on a whole bunch of different subjects. But this was one that we definitely talked about a lot because you were a big Dwayne Wade guy. I wasn't, but we were both emotionally affected by that video. It's funny because I showed that to a couple people that I know that don't even watch basketball and even they were on the verge of tears watching it so it goes to show you that Dwayne Wade was absolutely a person who transcended sports and on top of it it shows that Budweiser knows how to make a hell of an ad yeah that's for sure <laughs> I mean they did a good job but like I said I was like crying and I'm like oh man they're trying to sneak sell me beer <laughs> Hey, listen, they got to get their money back somehow for the cost of that ad. They were doing a tribute to Dwayne Wade, but they also had to make their money back on what it cost them to make it. But it was a great ad. And like I said, if you haven't seen it yet, you should go ahead and check it out the same way that you should check out some game film of Ty Montgomery, who is the latest member added to the New York Jets. Talked about it with Daryl Slater yesterday. He signs a one-year deal. He's going to be the primary backup for Le'Veon Bell. Chris, I really like this. He got the veterans minimum. And he's a guy who's still young at 26 years old. A lot of athletic ability and upside. He can catch the ball out of the backfield. I know there's been injury concerns. And the way that he broke free of the Packers last year is a little concerning. But on a one-year deal, to be a backup and just take some of the touches away from Le'Veon Bell so he doesn't break down late in the season, I don't see how you could go wrong with this. Yeah, I agree. And, uh, you know, I tweeted yesterday when uh, it was announced, you know, a really solid uh, addition as a backup. And I started getting, you know, response tweets. Or he was nothing special in Green Bay. And I'm like, well, yeah, he's a backup. Like, yeah, we know that we're not talking about a Le'Veon Bell player caliber here. He's coming in to be a backup. And, you know, I remember watching him at Stanford and being a fan of him as a receiver. Um as a playmaker with the ball in his hands. And then when they moved him to running back in Green Bay, I was like, I don't know about this. But then it you know, worked for a little bit. But the, the, the thing that he brings is his, you know, he's not the best runner. But as a receiver out of the backfield, he can definitely help. And again, like I've been saying with Robbie Anderson, how I think the best thing about Adam Gase is what he can do with Robbie Anderson. I think Tyler Montgomery is a perfect player for Adam Gase to use to the maximize his potential there. I think it's a perfect fit there. And then selfishly, I'm, I'm low-key happy that I, I can sit there and I can maybe try to work on tie a little bit butter him up enough and see if i can get some aaron Rodgers information out of him aha i didn't even think of that chris that's brilliant yeah there's there's not and it hasn't been a lot of uh former packer players coming uh to the jets so he had uh bostic uh you know and uh, he wasn't here for that long and i'm gonna try to i'm trying to butter him up and just see and i'm not gonna add, try to see if i can get him to go into detail or you know rip people or anything just give me a thumbs up or a thumbs down on some things while sports can bring us so much joy it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress and that stress can make it difficult to concentrate relax and get decent sleep Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. 
They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Chris, the beauty of you hunting for dirt on Aaron Rodgers from Ty Montgomery is that he could talk to you about Aaron Rodgers being a guy that played with him as a running back and a wide receiver because that was more or less the role that he played in Green Bay, a hybrid of sorts between wide receiver and running back, which is the same role that he will be playing here with the New York Jets. But that's not what Robbie Anderson is. Robbie Anderson is no running back. He is strictly a receiver, a receiver who is going to come back, you would assume, on a one-year tender unless somebody gives him a big offer or the Jets sign him to an extension. And if they're going to do that, the baseline for that extension or the baseline for any offer might be what Sterling Shepard got from the New York Giants. He signs a four-year deal for $41 million with over $20 million guaranteed. Seems like a fair price for him and probably somewhere in the neighborhood of what the Jets would have to shell out for Robbie Anderson, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, I would argue just if we're just looking at football, I'd say Robbie should look at that and say, okay, give me a little bit more. Because they have pretty much, they came in the same time, they have pretty much identical numbers except Robbie's done what he's done on like, 30 less catches. I forget. I, sh- I should have pulled up the stats on this, but, uh, you know, because Sterling Shepard is definitely more, uh, uh, just a, you know, not just a, but he's much more of a slot guy. Um, you know, the possession, uh, receiver type guy where Robbie can actually absolutely stretch the field, take the top off the defense, more of a big play threat. So the, I would think he holds more value, but then you got to look at some of the off the field stuff. And even though it does seem to be, a lot behind him and he has definitely grown up and matured some over the years you got to think that that might bring it back down so i'd expect it to be right around the sterling shepherd level but uh you if you, you ask me strictly on a football standpoint which receiver i'd rather have give me robbie and i and i'm i'm a big sterling shepherd fan too so it's not a dismissal of him Another guy that the Jets are going to have to make a decision on as far as the contract goes in the not-so-distant future is Leonard Williams, who will be playing on his fifth-year rookie option, and then the Jets will have to figure out what they want to do as far as signing him to a long-term deal or franchising him or trading him or letting him walk. But for now, he is going to be here, it appears, for 2019, and he seems to be pretty impressed with the new defensive coordinator, Greg Williams. Yeah, he's talked about just the energy that Greg, Greg Williams brings, uh, you know, and how he thinks that's going to be infectious and, and just catch on to all the defensive players. And, you know, this is exactly something you would expect Jamal to be talking about, too. And of the things that 
I don't want to say because I understood why the players defended Bowles and liked Bowles, but it is one of the things I found a little uh, odd about it, confusing because Bowles didn't have that energy. And like now the players talked about it like it was a good thing, and you hear this a lot, you know, never get too high or too low, this and that. So there's benefits to both. But especially coming in, trying to start with a new unit, I think that energy is something that teams really, uh, players really feed off of, especially younger players. And then, uh, you know, so they can feed off of that and that can drive you to work harder, come closer together and this and that. So I just think that that can be hugely beneficial. And this is why you see teams when they fire a coach, they go out and they hire somebody that's got, you know, direct opposite personality type of thing. Obviously, you know, difference here because Craig Williams is a defense coordinator, but that's what teams look to do that for. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Greg Williams not only is going to be the coach for Leonard Williams, but he's going to be the coach for some other new players that will be coming in via the draft in just a couple of weeks, a bunch of whom will be in attendance live at the draft. We've got the list now of who's going to be there. Not many surprises, mostly who you would expect. But, Chris, there was one surprise. Yeah, the the one name that at first that I was – uh, you know, I wouldn't say surprised, but I saw it and I was like, ooh, he might be the guy getting filmed in the green rooms uh, waiting is, uh, you know, Marquise Brown, the wide receiver from Oklahoma, Antonio Brown's cousin, also known as Hollywood Brown, who, uh, you know, absolutely lit up the Big 12 the last couple of years in Oklahoma with Baker and Kyler Murray as his quarterbacks there. But, you know, he's a small guy, super fast, and he's basically just a, a go-route type of receiver. But he also had a bad injury. Now, I went and looked, and I guess his medicals have come back much better than people expected. But the thing there is, and I've talked about this a lot with receivers, is there's such variance, and it's hard, so hard to predict who, which receiver a certain team will like. I could see uh, Hollywood Brown being the second receiver taken off the board, or I could see him being the seventh receiver taken off the board, and anywhere in there. So I, if I'm looking at this list I could, of who I would expect or to bet on who might be most disappointed sitting there on camera in the green room, I would go with him. And, uh, you know, the rest, there's a lot of offensive linemen, a lot of, obviously, you got a lot of the pass rushers there. Uh, the quarterbacks are on there. So I would look at him as the one most likely to be sitting there looking awkward on camera, wondering when he's going to get picked. Odds are whoever the Jets pick is not going to face that dilemma because they're picking third unless they trade down. As we head into the mailbag and talk a little bit about that, we'll lead off with Sean Stalker, who says... Very big deal, Chris Nimbley and Scott. Convince me I'm wrong. Max should only trade down from Q or Allen if he can get a 2021st. Can't trust him with more twos and threes. Plus a team trading up for a quarterback has a good chance to be picking top 10 in next year's better quarterback draft. 
I'm imagining the Colts with our first round of this year if Mac hadn't held firm last year. It's an interesting point. Can you imagine that if the Jets had given away their first rounder this year in the deal with the Colts and it ended up being the number three overall pick? Boy, the Colts would have made out like even bigger bandits. I will say if you're looking for somebody to talk you out of what you're thinking, I'm not the right guy for that because I'm with you. I wouldn't trade out of this unless I got a really, really nice offer because as far as I'm concerned, there are three players to varying degrees. I think the number one guy for me is Quentin Williams, and I would not want to move off of him unless I got a great offer. Nick Bosa, similar thing, unless I didn't like his medical. I just think that he's too safe of a pick. Guy that could probably get you between 10 and 12 sacks a year. Never going to be elite, but still to be able to have a guy that you're pretty much guaranteed to produce like that is a big thing. And I think that Josh Allen has so much upside and is just a much better prospect at edge or anything else than anybody else in this draft that I would be very hesitant to trade down. I will say that if Quentin Williams and Nick Bosa are both off the board, I might be a little more likely to trade down, but still I just think Allen grades above everybody else to an extent that I would need a really big offer to do it. So I'm with you. I think that I would need a number one next year to move anywhere that was any kind of real distance from the number three overall pick. I guess it could be a little different if you're sitting at three, Quentin Williams and Josh Allen are both on the board and say Tampa Bay wants to jump ahead of the Raiders to get Devin White. And so by trading back to five, you're still guaranteed Allen or Williams. Maybe then, depending on what they offer, you could be convinced of it. But if I'm trading down to any significant degree, I need a real haul, and that would more than likely include a first rounder next year, unless they're going to do something crazy like give you three or four second rounders. All right, so you're gonna not you're not going to be the guy to talk him out of it. I will be. Um, <laughs> I I will say this now. I'll start by saying this: if you don't trust McHagden to make those picks, and you want to just root for them to keep that third pick to uh, go ahead and you know have the safer pick cool you can root for that but don't come here and criticize other people for saying that the trade down is the better option because you cannot sit here and no i understand but this is why you can't you can't keep a gm and have him be gm and then say uh, i don't trust him with second and third round picks you, so the, the gm as long as he is the gm he has to be allowed that flexibility i understand the special predicament we're in So you can root for that, but don't sit here and argue with people and say that it's wrong just because you don't like, you don't want Trust Mac to make those picks because he's still the GM. A GM has to be able to operate that way. You can't handcuff a GM and tell him he's not allowed to do certain things. Again, go ahead and root for that. That's fine. But uh, to sit there and say, or to act like it would be a bad thing to trade down just because of that is silly so at least at least then if that happens maybe you have faith that Hyman Digger is doing more and maybe Greg Williams will will contribute who knows I mean I wouldn't put a lot of faith in that either but you you gotta hope and if now they're not gonna get a first round pick unless maybe Washington would be foolish enough to do that but I can't see anybody giving away a fourth round, a first round pick unless it's that big of a jump. You're most likely going to have to settle for some combination of second and third round picks. I'm sure we're going to have questions on that later, so I'll wait to hold off on that. But if you can gather up three or four extra picks from doing this, and especially, you know, obviously, like, let's 
you could maybe try to trick the Raiders, at, or like maybe somebody is trying to trade up and for somebody the Raiders might want, and then you could trade with the Raiders and let them go get whoever they want, and then you take you just drop down that one spot. You know, if you're dropping that down, they're probably not going to trade with the Giants. But you say they go with uh, you know Cincinnati, they trade down with Cincinnati, go to eleven. There's a good chance that you could probably still get you might still get a Brian Burns available in eleventh. Would you would you rather have Josh Allen and no extra picks or Brian Burns in an extra third and an extra second? Uh, you know, I I would take Brian Burns and the difference there. So it all depends on how far down they go. What type of player they can go there? You know, if they go down to fifteen, they probably have to be more willing to go with you know an Andre Dillard or a Jonah Williams there because Burns will probably be off by uh, you know maybe Miami or Green Bay or somebody will take them. Probably won't get Burns there at fifteen, but they could probably get them pretty good at eleven. There's a really good chance. I'd rather take Brian Burns and extra picks than Josh Allen. Uh, I'd be a little less likely to do that with Quinton Williams, but I'd still be willing to do that. They, they have so many holes they need to fill, and if I'm confident I can get a player I like there, I'm going to do it. I'm going to grab those extra players, and I get the hesitation and distrust of McCagnan to do it. But again, you can't handcuff your GM and say you can't trade down and gather more picks because I don't trust you to make the picks. Otherwise, why is he the GM? And yes, I know, I get it, because... This guy, this fan, and and I agree with him, would have fired McCagnan. But as long as he's here, you have to allow him the opportunity to do the job. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Listen, Chris, I agree with you in terms of you can't handcuff your GM. He's here, and so you can't just say, oh, we can't pick in the second round. We can't get him a second or a third round pick. If you felt the deal is right, fine. The reason why I was agreeing with Sean is because I want a haul to move out of that pick because you mentioned, would you rather Brian Burns in an extra second or a third or Josh Allen? I'd rather have Josh Allen, and I'd rather have Quinn and Williams than any of them, and it would take a lot for me to move away from a guy that I think is going to be a perennial all-pro in Quinn and Williams or a guy that I think has the potential to become a 15-16 sack-a-year type of guy. I don't know that I see that in Burns. I definitely see that kind of upside in Allen. He's not anywhere near as safe of a bet as Bosa or Quinn and Williams to me, but I would rather have him than trade down and get an extra second and a third. So that's really where I was agreeing with Sean. It's less the whole idea of you can't trust him with second and thirds. I will say that that is a legitimate concern. There's no question about it. You'd be lying if you said that it wasn't. Of course it's a concern, but you can't handcuff the GM that way. Like if, let's say, somebody offered four second-round picks, you can't not take it because you don't trust Mac with the second-rounders. If he gets offered some sort of crazy deal like that, fine. But I was really more saying that if they're trading down, I want a haul, and that haul would more than likely have to include a future first-rounder because otherwise, unless somebody's doing what the Jets did last year and offering a ton of second-rounders, I just don't think it's going to be worth it. 
Yeah, and uh, you know, like I said, I don't, I don't imagine anyone's really going to give up a first rounder unless it's a huge drop, you know. And uh, Washington would be the team I could see doing it. You know, remember the Saints gave up a first rounder last year to move up to get uh, pass rusher Marcus Davenport, so they didn't even do it for uh, a quarterback. So it's possible that something like that could happen. But again, you know, if I, I go with a second and a third and then a second or third next year, I'd definitely consider that and I'd pro- likely take that. And now again, that might be part of my bias of looking at the draft and knowing how many players in that second and third round that I really love are going to be there. So I want some of that. That might be some of it. And like I said, I, I totally understand the not trusting McCagnan to make those picks, which is why I'm saying I'm not going to tell you not to root for that. I understand that completely. I'm just saying you can't have that. You can't handcuff the GM like that. So if they do make that move, don't turn around and criticize it in that vein. Wait, at least wait and see who they pick. And then if he goes ahead and he drafts, you know, a 26-year-old defensive lineman, uh, <laughs> again, he does something like that with one of those picks, then go ahead, fire off those tweets. But, like, you can't handcuff a GM like that. He has to be allowed to do the job. But it, it, feel free to root, root against that possibility. I, I'm not going to tell you not to do that because, obviously, McCagnin's had his issues in those areas, so I get it. Yeah, for me, that's what it comes down to. I just think that Quentin Williams and Josh Allen are so far ahead, and obviously Bosa too, that I wouldn't move off unless it was a great haul. And I do think that if the Jets had a really strong general manager, my opinion might be a little different because I might trust, say, a Chris Ballard to get a guy in the middle of the round who could turn out to be a special player, and he evaluates him better and just finds a gem. Maybe then I might say, okay, I don't agree with this, but I trust it more but in this case i'm absolutely going to do what sean is doing and root against the jets making that kind of deal this is the overtime podcast network next question comes in from peter dillard he says what do you think is the jets plan for cornerback there has to be more to this i like roberts but they've got to do more do you think they're expecting big things from someone like Derek jones you can't bank on a third round pick being a starter especially with mccagnan again going to the mccagnan can't draft past the first round well i think that right now roberts is the placeholder if they can add somebody better they will whether it's in the draft or whether somebody beats him out in camp or whether someone gets cut or some sort of late addition, but I think that they looked around, they didn't see anybody that they thought was worth investing major money in, and we talked about Ronald Darby, who went back to Philly on a one-year deal, it seemed pretty clear he wanted to be there, and so I think they signed Roberts because they felt like push comes to shove, they know that Roberts can start, even if he's not going to be a great player, he can hold the fort for a year, and so I think that's really what they're looking at right now, they figure Roberts is the guy as of now, if they add somebody in the draft, or if someone steps up in camp, or if someone gets cut after June 1st or in the preseason then maybe they look in that direction but I think as of this minute they are planning on going into the 2019 season with Roberts as the second starter I might word a little different and say that they're they're comfortable with that being the worst case scenario at least right. because I they're gonna they're probably looking and thinking okay hopefully maybe we can add one with you know one of the mid-round draft picks we get uh, obviously, you'll have training camp cuts, probably be able to get somebody along those lines. But if worst case scenario, Daryl Roberts has to be the starter right there, then we're okay with that. For, for one year, then okay, cool. Again, 
they weren't going to be able to fill every hole this year. There's too, simply too many of them. So if that's what they have to do this year, then go ahead and roll that dice, see how that turns out. With the Derek Jones thing, like, this, this is a new coaching staff that, you know, hasn't spent time with him, hasn't seen him. He's only played a little bit in the preseason last year. Like, they have – there's – there's no way that they can be having holding out high hopes and expectations for him when they haven't had the ability to see. They didn't get to see what he looked like in training camp last year. You know, they they didn't get to see all that hype. They weren't paying attention, so they they don't have any reason to like really be holding out hope now. If he comes in, has a really solid training camp in preseason, then yeah, maybe he can go ahead and he can supplant Daryl Roberts. But I, you know. The biggest, if you if you're really rooting for an upgrade there, you want somebody better. You're probably going to have to look towards the draft. Maybe hope to get somebody with one of those third round picks, fourth round pick. You know, we'll see. I've talked about a lot on this podcast. Uh, Julian loves the cornerback out of Notre Dame. I could see being there in the third round. Still, you know, he's he's not somebody who's like got top elite athletic ability everywhere, but he's just really solid, fundamentally sound, solid. Good quarterback, you know, uh, you know, a Rocky Yassin from Temple, probably be more of a second round guy. Sean Bunting, somebody who came and visited with the Jets uh, out of Central Michigan. There, there's going to be a bunch of. This happens a lot. There's cornerbacks, one of those positions where you can find a Josh Norman, a, a Richard Sherman late in the draft that just nobody really knew about, and they turn into a really good player. Obviously, that. You know, the McCagnin later draft comes into play. You don't trust him again there to, to pull that off. But you expect them to draft somebody, at least one, maybe two, depending on if they're able to trade down or not. And again, they will have the training camp cuts, too. There will be more competition brought in for Daryl Roberts. Is basically, oh, I took a long way to get around to saying that I expect more competition for Daryl Roberts. Whether or not that competition can beat him out will, it remains to be seen. Next question is from Michael Gaston Confused. I love when he asks these silly questions. They make me laugh on these weekend mailbag podcasts. He says, if and when the Jets draft Quinn and Williams, if I meet him, should I have him sign a stolen IHOP menu or a box of Oreos if I go to training camp? This is my advice. I would say stolen IHOP menu. Not that I'm encouraging you to steal. And I'm going to tell you why. It reminds me of a story that happened to me. I'm a big fan of Penn and Teller, and I go to Vegas a lot because my brother lives out there, so I go to visit, and I'll go see Penn and Teller when I'm out there. And what Penn and Teller do is they do their show, and then afterwards they hang around in the lobby, and they'll sign autographs, and they'll take pictures with everybody. And it's a really nice thing that they do for their fans, and I always take advantage of it because it's a chance to see Penn and Teller and then get a chance to say hi to them after the show. So I remember one time, I didn't have anything for them to sign, but at the Rio where they play on the signs that you put on the door that says do not disturb is a picture of Penn and Teller so I grabbed one of them off the room I was staying at and I went to Teller and I said hey can you sign this and he looked at me and he smiled and he said I'm always happy to autograph illicitly stolen merchandise and it just made me laugh and I think you could have a similar experience with Quinn and Williams if you have them sign an IHOP menu 
And it's a little bit like, you know, getting Randy Jackson of American Idol to sign your samurai sword, right? Like, (laughs) just like that. So, yeah, I'm going to agree with you. I'm going to take a different reasoning there, and I'm going to throw out a a, a hot take, a a food-related hot take, and say Oreos are trash. Uh, (laughs) So golden Oreos, golden Oreos, cool. Regular Oreos, the cookie part, no, that's trash. Uh, go, just go with the IHOP menu, and I ex- fully expect to catch some blowback on this Oreos or trash take, but I know I'm going to have a lot of people agreeing with me as well. So tra- Oreos are trash, throw them out, get rid of them, go with the IHOP menu, even though, as I said, if Quinn Williams comes here, I am going to sell him and put him on to the diner life here in northern New Jersey. I really like chocolate-covered Oreos, but I will say if you eat too many of those, you end up in a sugar coma for about a week. <laughs> yeah, that, that sounds about right. Next question comes in from Tommy Griffin Crantz. He says, if the Jets trade back and draft an offensive tackle like Dillard, is Brandon Shell the kind of guy that can move inside to guard? Maybe they just kind of work Dillard into the rotation with the idea that next year he would be the long-term replacement at tackle for Kelvin Beecham, who everybody assumes is only going to be here for another year. Hard to say, but is it impossible to see Shell kicking the guard? Eh, I don't think they would do it, but crazier things have happened. Yeah, I don't I don't see it. It's just his frame, the way he's built, just doesn't seem to have... He needs more space to work with to, to get to be able to plant his feet the way he does. He's a, a giant man. I, I feel like he needs to be on the outside. I could see him having a lot of trouble trying to work in be, in between uh, the center and the tackle there. Um, you know, Dillard's a, a, a fascinating uh, look at the player. He's the best pass blocker in this draft, but he's a really bad run blocker. So, uh, you know, that can improve, obviously. That can get better. you got Darnold, the way the NFL is moving today, even signing Le'Veon Bell and how he can help as a receiver. You'd like to, you know, be probably comfortable with that. Uh, you know, they could go with Jonah Williams there. Jonah Williams, who you could probably play pretty much anywhere on the line. You could definitely play him at guard. You could play him at right tackle. You could even play him at center, most likely. Um but I, I don't see Brandon Shell being able to be kicked inside to be a really good guard. I could be completely off on that. But uh, I, I agree with you there. If, you, if you're in a position that, say, they trade down to 15 or something, and they're sitting there and Burns is off the table, and then you, you're looking at Dillard or Jonah Williams there, go ahead and take that pick. And if you have to let them sit for a little bit until they can, you know, move on, Kelvin Beecham or Beecham get or Shell gets hurt, you know, that's the other thing. We we had uh, the good news on when Shell told us that his injury was going to be healed much quicker than we expected. It sh- he should be ready and, and no problem with minicamp. But what if he's not all the way back, or what if he gets hurt then, and then all of a sudden you can slide him in there? So they're getting a top level offensive lineman is going to help this team for years to come. And this is another huge reason why I don't like the idea of drafting for need because you're drafting for need for that year, for that player in the first round, especially he's going to be on your teams for five years. Like there's going to be more needs there. It just, it see it's counterproductive to do that specifically. Uh, but there's a lot of ways you can get somebody and you know, you're always going to need a top notch offensive lineman. I should clarify, 
I don't expect Brandon Shell to move to guard, and I don't think that he would be best suited there. I'm mostly saying that if Frank Pollock thinks that it could be a short-term solution, yeah. maybe he would do it. But even then, I just don't know that you would consider him an upgrade at guard because he would have to learn the position, yeah. and then he would have to replace Winters or Semele, which is not going to happen. I think maybe if there's an injury, yeah. there could be a way that they would force him into guard or Harrison maybe if they get another center. But I think more than likely, if you were to pick a guy like Dillard, it would be exactly what you said, Chris. You would use him as that swing tackle to start because Beecham and Shell both have histories of getting injured. Shell is recovering from an injury right now. So I think that's probably what you'd be doing. And like you said, and I completely agree, you don't draft for need because your needs change from year to year. You don't draft for the need for the one year unless you're a team that's chasing a championship. Right. You get the guy that's going to make the most impact over the next five to ten years. And so if you believe that Dillard can be your long-term answer at one of the tackle spots over the long haul you pick them and then you figure out the rest later next question comes in from aj he says in a perfect world what would the jets 2019 draft look like would they stay at three and if so who would they draft at three if they traded back who would they get in the first the third and presumably the second if they were to pick up a second rounder as part of a trade down deal so I've talked about this a lot. Obviously, if they stay at three, my feeling is if Quinn and Williams is on the board, take Quinn and Williams. If Quinn and Williams is off the board and Nick Bosa is on the board, take Nick Bosa. If Quinn and Williams and Nick Bosa are both off the board, take Josh Allen. That's it. Those are the three guys that I would take if I'm staying at number three. There's really nobody else that I would take. I might be able to be persuaded at some point that Jawan Taylor could be the better pick than Josh Allen, but as of now, I just don't see it. I think that the need for the Jets, not just now, but over the next bunch of years, at outside linebacker for an edge rusher is going to be a lot bigger, and I do think that Allen's a better prospect anyway. But if I was going to say anybody outside of those three, it would probably be Jawan Taylor. After that, in the second and third round, it really depends on who's on the board. There are a lot of questions here. We've talked about this, but I think McCoy could be an interesting one. The center from Texas A&M. The one that I really like, if he falls all the way to this spot, would be Ja'Kai Polite. I've been talking about this for a while. Even if the Jets draft an outside rusher with their number three overall pick, there's no reason they can't take Ja'Kai Polite. I think that's incredible value in that spot. There are a lot of questions about him and his work ethic, but if you pick him in the third round, it's worth the risk. It's something that would keep me from picking him in the first, but when you get all the way to the third, that's absolutely where you take a guy like that. There have been other guys who've been talked about being picked in the third round. Kajust is a guy that may fall because of the injury, and there's work ethic questions about him. Arcadia Whiteside's another one that people are talking about. I don't know that he's going to be available in the third. Might have to take him in the second. It depends how the board falls, but that's more or less how I feel about it. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty close there. I would say you know, but I'll go. You trade down. You take somebody, uh, T.J. Hawkinson or uh, Noah Fant, or you can go offensive line with Jawan Taylor there, and then in the you, you gather those you know a second round, an extra third or two, whatever you do. In the second round, you go with a player like McCoy, Bradbury, if he's still there, most likely won't be. You know, go with a Dalton. A Dalton Reisner, or Chris Lindstrom, and Cody Ford type, and uh, you know, inside on that offensive line, and I'm I'm looking the third round, you know, maybe you could get you know a Paris Campbell type, uh, a Terry McClellan, the 
There's two uh, Ohio State guys, receivers there. And then Ja'Kai Polite is definitely somebody that, you know, if you're missing out, you could also, again, if you trade down, you could go with it at, uh, with a Brian Burns there, of course. But if you're missing out on those edge guys early and you can get Ja'Kai Polite in the third, I'm all about that. I am rolling that dice. I am Le'Veon Bell, life is a gamble, all up in here. <laughs> and I am rolling the dice on Ja'Kai Polite because – I I know all the off the field stuff. I know the questions about work work ethic. I know he absolutely bombed at the combine, uh, on and off the field. I don't care because when I throw on the tape and I watch the guy polite, he he's not somebody I look at and I'm like, yeah, that guy doesn't like playing football. That guy doesn't look like he works hard. You watch him play; he never stops running. He is all over the place. He is. Uh, very good player on the field, athletic uh, testing not uh, didn't do so well for him. But watch him play, throw him on that floor to tape. Watch him play, and you're going to fall in love with him. And then there's you know somebody else you, know, you mentioned, Kajust, uh, who's been slipping. But then there's uh, you know Chuma Adoga, the kid from USC, who you know watching him, you you see all the talent and the ability there. Uh, he's got some of the same things where people question his love of football. They're concerned about that, but if he's still on board in the third, that's an offensive tackle. He could be somebody that I'm willing to life is gambling up on. So that that third round is where you really hope and want to find players like that with first round ability on the on the field, and you roll the dice and see what you can get out of them. I should add that I didn't say who I would pick in the first round if they traded down. It really depends how far they go down. Yeah. If they only go down a couple of spots, that's where you might grab a guy like Jawan Taylor. If you go down a little bit more than that, maybe Burns. But those are the two guys that I would be looking at depending on how far, maybe even Garrett Bradbury. It all depends on how the board falls and how far they go down. And thus concludes part one of our weekend mailbag. We will be back with part two tomorrow. In the meantime, follow Chris on Twitter at CNimbly. Check him out at JetsInsider.com. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com.